Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Coming to you live from the New York Stock Exchange, I'm Zane Ashton. It's my colleague, Julia Tatsley, and here is what you need to know. Boeing pays the price. The 737 crisis cuts into its results as the jet remains grounded and ready to rumble. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg is about to testify on Capitol Hill and just eight days for Boris Johnson to find a way for Britain to Brexit on Halloween. It is Wednesday and this is First Move. First move, I'm Zane Asher. So glad to have you with us. Uh, let's begin with a check of the U.S. markets. U.S. stocks look set for, let's see, a mostly flat open this Wednesday. Disappointing results from two trade-sensitive stocks. I'm talking about Caterpillar and Texas Instruments as well has been weighing on sentiment. Shares of construction equipment giant Caterpillar have staged a dramatic comeback in pre-market trading. They tumbled 5% after missing earnings and revenue estimates. Shares are now on target for a higher open. In the meantime, shares of semiconductor firm Texas Instruments are set to fall almost 8% after it missed sales estimates and lowered its guidance as well. Other chip stocks are set to fall in sympathy. Today's results are new evidence that the trade war with China continues to hit major American multinationals. Meantime, European stocks are mixed as EU leaders consider the UK's request for a fresh Brexit delay. UK stocks are making the biggest gains. Let's get right now to the drivers uh, and the latest in terms of quarterly results from Boeing. Boeing is saying that its uh, third quarter revenue fell by a whopping $5 billion. That's more than one-fifth. It is still hoping regulators will let its best-selling plane, the grounded 737 MAX, return to service by the end of the year. It also says the first of the new 777Xs uh, should be delivered uh, in early 2021. Let's bring in Claire Sebastian. He's joining us live now. So, uh, Claire, these results may not have been overall as dismal as what some people may have expected, but just set the scene for us in terms of how Boeing is still being financially impacted by the grounding of those 737 maxes. Yeah, Zane, this was not far off what was expected. Uh, so I think that's one of the reasons why you see the stock coming back up in pre-market today. But overall, not a very pretty set of numbers. The revenues were down, as you say, 21%. Net earnings down by more than half. Uh, and in particular, I want to home in on the commercial airplanes uh, segment. That is the biggest segment uh, of Boeing, of course, the most impacted by the, the grounding of the 737 MAX. They saw uh, a loss of $40 million in the quarter. Deliveries were down 67%. So the company did return to profit. That was expected, 
but that was really propped up by the other segments, defense uh, and services and things like that. But crucially, the big question uh, for investors was not so much the numbers themselves, but, but the timeline for bringing the 737 MAX back into service. Boeing saying, uh, as you said, that they expect uh, approval to begin uh, in the fourth quarter of this year. That doesn't mean the planes are going to be back flying in the fourth quarter of this year, Zane. That will take some uh, procedures and, and a lot of logistics to get that back up uh, for the airlines. But, but that is something that is seen as positive by investors because they haven't pushed the timeline out beyond this year, Zane. And so just putting the 737 maxes to one side, how has Boeing, Boeing overall been affected by the global uh, trade environment there? Yeah, so this is the U.S.'s biggest uh, exporter. They are very much in the firing line. You know that the stock has been constantly buffeted by all the headlines around that. And one particular point that the, the company made in this earnings release was that the, the 787, uh, the Dreamliner, they are actually planning to cut production uh, of that plane. They say because uh, of the, the trade environment, China is a big source of demand for Boeing for its wide-body jets. Uh, so it seems that they are now looking at less demand from China for those planes, and that is why they are cutting production there. So that was the key point. Uh, when it comes to trade. But of course, uh, Boeing will continue to be vulnerable as these headlines come out. Correct, right, Sebastian, live for us there. Thank you so much. Okay, so in the next uh, hour or so, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg will be testifying in the US Congress. He's set to defend the company's controversial plans to launch its own cryptocurrency, Libra. Brian Fung is on Capitol Hill for us, joins us live now. So, uh, Brian, we did get the prepared remarks from uh, Zuckerberg. Just walk us through what sort of defense he's expected to give uh, for Libra. Yeah, so first off, this is going to be a major test for Facebook as it tries to restore trust with policymakers. Facebook is going to face questions on everything from uh, Libra to its impact on the housing market. Now, uh, top uh, lawmakers like Maxine Waters, the chairwoman of the House Financial Services Committee, where Zuckerberg will be testifying today, has called on Facebook to halt development of Libra. Uh, and Zuckerberg is expected to tell the committee that, uh, you know, Facebook will not be involved in launching Libra uh, worldwide until U.S. policymakers' concerns have been addressed. Now, that's not all, though. Um, you know, Facebook has faced a lot of concerns about its role in political advertising recently. Uh, and lawmakers say that Zuckerberg should be prepared for pretty much anything. Um, speaking to reporters yesterday, uh, Congresswoman Sylvia Garcia said, um, you know, you've got to be uh, prepared to answer whatever questions come. There's serious concerns in light of the news within the last 24 hours. Now, the news, of course, that she's referring to here is Facebook's announcement that uh, the company has suspended dozens of uh, accounts, fake accounts, from uh, Russian-linked and Iranian-linked uh, sources that are seeking to divide Americans ahead of the 2020 election. Now, Zuckerberg's uh, testimony today will be the first time he's testifying before Congress since 2018. Um, but it's the third time he's visited Washington in just the last two months. So all a sign that uh, the company is taking this very, very seriously. Yeah, so it's an uphill battle just in terms of repairing Facebook's reputation. But also you have to look at the fact that you've got uh, Visa, MasterCard, PayPal all pulling out of the Libra Association as well, which certainly cripples Mark Zuckerberg going into this hearing. Yeah, I think there are going to be big questions going forward about the viability of the association um, as Zuckerberg tries to make the case that Libra is a tool to help the unbanked and developed countries gain access to uh, to banking products. Now, um, 
There are still a number of uh, players uh, still involved in the Libra Association, Coinbase being a major uh, one of them. But uh, there are going to be tough questions for Zuckerberg on um, financial services and, uh, and other issues today. All right, Brian Fung, Life for there on Capitol Hill. Thank you so much. Okay, so uh, with just eight days to go before the UK is due to leave the European Union, the government has put the brakes on its Brexit deal this after Parliament, the Parliament backed deal, back the deal rather, but refused to fast track it, making an exit by Halloween virtually impossible. The next move will now to come from Brussels with European leaders uh, deciding whether or not to grant yet another Brexit extension. Nick Robertson joins us live now. So, so Nick, really in all of this, is the only way to break the impasse simply another general election? Well, there is another opportunity for the Prime Minister and the Labour Party reiterated the offer that their leader, leader of the party uh, gave uh, uh, Boris Johnson yesterday in Parliament. Jeremy Corbyn uh, said that he was willing to negotiate with Boris Johnson on a different timeline because, of course, that that uh, withdrawal agreement bill uh, w was put on pause because the Prime Minister was turned down on his request to Parliament to shorten the length of time to debate it. He is shortening it down to a, to a couple of days. The Labour Party has today said that they've gone back to the Conservative Party uh, and said that they are willing to um, negotiate this time frame again. Um, but the criticism that Boris Johnson was, was uh, laying at the feet of the leader of the opposition today in Parliament during Parliament... Parliament par, uh, pr during uh, Prime Minister's question time was that he just he, he said that the Labour Party just wants a second referendum, that they're just using delaying tactics. Um, the Labour Party say that is not the case. Uh, but they are saying if the European Union does give an extension for, uh, the, for, for Brexit until the end of January, which is what Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, asked them for in a letter over the weekend, then the Labour Party would be minded, it appeared, uh, to go for a general election. Uh, and those are the choices, as you say, a general election, but, but also the possibility to uh, make some compromises on the Prime Minister's part, continue to negotiate the withdrawal agreement, but recognise is not going to get it done by his deadline on the 31st of October, and maybe um, have to make some some fundamental compromises in what's actually in that final agreement. So that's where we are, um, essentially waiting for the European Union to respond. The ambassadors of, of uh, the 27 European Union nations are meeting this afternoon in a couple of hours' time. Not clear how quickly uh, they'll respond. Donald Tusk, the European Council president, will respond to uh, Boris Johnson with notification about the decision. But uh, th th this is where the situation remains. Boris Johnson's left it parked with the EU at the moment. All right, uh, Nick Robertson, live for us there. Thank you so much. Okay, so these are the stories making headlines around the world. Uh, police in Britain say that 39 bodies have been found in a truck container at an industrial park near London. A man has been arrested on suspicion of murder. Police say it may take some time to gather details about the victims. stage we have not identified where the victims are from or their identities and we anticipate this could be a lengthy process. All right, uh, Scott McLean is in Essex with more details. So Scott, what more do we know specifically about the driver? 
Yeah, very little about the driver at this point, Zane. Police did just let us pass the, the cordon for a minute or two to get a closer look. And this is clearly a heavy industrial area. You can probably hear some of the machinery behind me. And it is difficult to imagine, even at 1.30 in the morning, that a truck like the one that you see there in question here would have raised any suspicion on its own. Police will only say at this point that it was the ambulance service who alerted them to this area. You can imagine the incredibly grim and frankly horrifying scene that first responders would have encountered inside there. 39 people were killed. One of them, police believe, is a teenager. The 25-year-old driver uh, from Ireland, or from Northern Ireland has been arrested. Uh, police say that the truck they believe originated in Bulgaria it would have come through here from Northern Wales um, on Saturday, four days ago. And so that's likely that they would have come through Ireland, through Dublin in order to get there. Um, I spoke with an industry expert who said that perhaps if this is indeed people smuggling or human trafficking or something to that effect, that they may have used that route through Ireland to avoid more stringent checks between southern England and France, where authorities are using heart rate uh, detectors, dogs, CO2 monitors in order to detect humans who might be uh, smuggled in uh, amongst cargo being taken into this area. Um, that expert also telling me that he believes that the truck here is a refrigeration truck. Typically, those are held at minus 5, minus 10 degrees Celsius, depending on what's being carried. And if that were, in fact, to be the case, well, then those are not ideal conditions to sustain human life, Zane. But still, a lot of questions at this point. So how do police at this point, Scott, even begin the process of actually trying to identify the victims? Yeah, that is a great question. It's not clear what type of identification they would have on them, if anything at all. Right now, the question of national origin is secondary to their simple identities, which they say they don't know either of them at this point, but they're obviously working through that process. Um, Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary here in the UK, mentioned people smuggling, um, not in this particular case, but saying that immigration authorities are working with police in this investigation to try to ascertain what exactly happened. And so perhaps that's where her mind is going at this stage. Uh, or perhaps she knows something from police that we don't, that this is in fact uh, people smuggling or human trafficking or, or something to that effect, Sam. Scott McLean in Essex for us. Thank you so much. President Trump just tweeted claiming a big success on the Turkey-Syria border. He says that the ceasefire in Turkey's assault has held uh, and combat has ended. He also says the Kurds are safe and ISIS prisoners have been secured. The president says he plans to make a statement later on today. Hong Kong's government has withdrawn the controversial extradition bill that led to five months of seemingly non-stop protests. The bill would have allowed officials to extradite people arrested in Hong Kong to the mainland China for trial. Protesters said it could be used to silence political activists. Chief Executive Carrie Lam faced intense criticism for taking so long to withdraw that bill. All right, still to come here on First Move, to call it a golden parachute would be an understatement as SoftBank rides to the rescue. The severance for WeWork's founder is raising eyebrows. And later, the esteemed expert on China invented by President Trump's economic advisor, China, reacts to Peter Navarro's alter ego. Coming up after the break, you're watching First Move.
first move coming to you live from the New York Stock Exchange. Shares of SoftBank fell 2.5% after the Japanese company said it is bailing out WeWork, the troubled office space operator. Uh, we're learning more about the agreement that will deliver a jaw-dropping payoff to WeWork founder Adam Newman, recently ousted as CEO. Sharice Pham joins us live now. So, Sharice, we've learned that Adam Newman is going to be riding off into the sunset with about uh, $1.7 billion. Just walk us through what the financial package is from SoftBank overall um, and how much control they're going to be having of the company. Uh, yeah, this is the bailout package we have all been waiting for. It's been reported for multiple weeks now. Adam Newman essentially getting to ride off into the sunset, like you said there, with a golden parachute. Uh, this deal includes $975 million for a cap out to buy shares that Newman owns, $500 million for a loan, and $185 million for a consulting fee uh, that uh, will be paid by SoftBank. And we presume Adam Newman will consult for SoftBank there. And this will see Adam Newman step down from the board. He has already stepped down as CEO after a botched attempt to take the company public. He is now going to step down from the board. Uh, the company is saying in an announcement that he's going to have a role as a board observer, um, but he will not have any active role. And this will see SoftBank take 80 percent of this troubled company. Zane. And so, Sharif, what do the new CEOs actually need to do specifically to turn the company around? Because its fortunes over the past several months since that botched IPO have certainly been dire, to say the least. Yeah, a large part of that botched IPO is that investors took a look at the SEC filings of this company and balked at the massive valuation. This company, just earlier this year, let's not forget, was valued at $47 billion. This massive injection of cash that SoftBank is pumping into this company will now value WeWork at about $8 billion, a, a person familiar with the deal told us earlier today. Now, that is... Uh, troubled times for this company, right? It means that the new CEO or the new chief, which will be Marcelo Clore, uh, will really need to turn things around and get the company on a path to profitability. That will likely be leading, that will likely mean a lot of job cuts. And we're already seeing some employees really worried about what this massive payout for Adam Newman means. But what's really interesting that we found in all of this, Zane, is that CEO Masayoshi Son of SoftBank is almost downplaying this massive debacle almost normalizing the behavior of this controversial CEO. He said in a statement, um, it is not unusual for the world's leading technology disruptors to experience gross challenges like the one we work just faced, Zane. Sharice Pham live for us there. Thank you so much. Okay, so a Brexit delay now seems likely. The EU Council President Donald Tusk says he'll advise European leaders to grant Britain the extension it asked for. The question now will be for how long. The answer may well determine what unfolds next in Westminster. A long delay could lead to a general election. A shorter one could pressure Parliament to pass the Prime Minister's Brexit deal. Joining us 
Live now is a Liberal Democrat MP. We're at Hob House. Uh, her party wants to revoke Article 50. So, Wera, thank you so much for being with us. I just want to start by getting your take on the events of the past 24 hours. Obviously, the Prime Minister had a quasi-victory, some would say, with a second reading uh, yesterday, but then lost on the programme motion. What's your take on those developments? we have had for months and months is that the Brexiteers amongst themselves cannot agree what Brexit they want. And that's been um, the difficulty since Theresa May brought back a deal from Europe over a year ago. Um, and she couldn't bring it, get it through the House because some people wanted to leave without a deal and some people wanted to leave with her deal and some people wanted to leave with a softer deal. Um, and against all of that, we as Liberal Democrats and increasing numbers say, let's stay in the European Union because actually nobody, when it went, once it comes to a specific Brexit proposal can agree of what that should be. Let's um, put it back to the people um, and let the people decide. Right, but in terms of the immediate next steps, would the immediate next steps, given the uh, uncertainty and the polarization that you mentioned, would the immediate next steps be a general election? Well, um, it looks like there's no other way out of this um, apart from going back to the people. And I said before, it could be a referendum, it could be a general election. It looks like the Prime Minister is set against a second referendum. There is currently no majority in Parliament for a second referendum, so it looks more likely that it's going to be a general election. And once the EU has granted an extension, most parties will probably go for that. So in terms of a second referendum, obviously, I mean, you've heard the uh, what the opponents have said many, many times. You can't simply call another referendum just because you don't like the results of the first. Obviously, there were 17 million people that voted to leave the EU on the 23rd of June 2016, and you have to honour that. Um, we have said time and time again, unless you actually put a specific proposal forward, then people don't really know what they're asked to decide upon and that was, I don't blame the people, that was the mistake of the politicians who asked the question in the way they did it in the first place. It was very unspecific and after the um, referendum different politicians went away and interpreted the result according to their own views and they never dared to go back to the people and ask them specifically on a specific deal, whether people actually agree with that specific deal or whether they'd rather stay in the European Union. Just given, you know, how much polarization there has been and how much mistrust there has been, um, you mentioned that Brexiteers can't even decide on, on which sort of Brexit they want. How much of an opening does that provide to your party, the Liberal Democrats, um, if there was to be a general election, do you think? We have done very well in the last six months um, in local and European elections. Um, our poll rating has gone up very high um, because we are a party that is very clear of what we believe is the right thing to do, whereas all the other parties, because they're split amongst themselves, the, 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 the two main parties, the Labour and the Conservatives, it's different with the SNP in Scotland, but the Labour and the Conservative Party, they're just split amongst themselves and they're confusing the public of what they actually want. Um, and for that reason, um, the public is actually choosing parties that provide some clarity um, and therefore we are doing very well. We are looking forward to an election and probably will increase our percentage and our um, seats in Parliament quite dramatically. 
Dems, uh, you've obviously been very clear about what you want. You found your voice as the anti-Brexit party. But when the UK does eventually leave the EU, which is likely to happen, even though people are unclear of the timeline, what happens to your party's brand then? that uh, we believe we should stay in the European Union is, is a passionate belief because it's the right thing to do and um, there, there will be plenty of opportunities in the future to point out why we would have been much better off to stay in the European Union. Look at um, Scotland and the Scottish independence referendum and um, they lost the independence referendum but um, the SNP won a majority in Scotland after they lost the referendum so often um, losing a referendum doesn't mean that your appeal and what you're standing up for um, is is losing um, as, as a proposal for the future um, and I, I'm, I'm sure the same thing will happen for the Lib Dems especially because we believe we don't just say it we believe leaving the European Union is a massive mistake it's going to, to to lead to a loss of prosperity a loss of international security the standing of Great Britain in the world we just shouldn't do it um, and after we have we've left the European Union all of this will become much clearer. Currently people say, oh, that's just project fear. Let's just wait and see what happens. We are pretty sure all the things that we predict are going to happen are going to happen, if not worse. All right, we're a house. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Uh, that's it for this half of First Move. We'll be right back after this quick break. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Zane Asher coming to you live from New York Stock Exchange. The opening bell actually just rang uh, about 10 seconds ago or so. And as expected, we've got a mostly flat open for U.S. stocks this Wednesday. Investors are pouring over a brand new batch of corporate earnings uh, today. We've got some high profile earnings misses from Dow Components, Boeing and Caterpillar spring to mind. Weak results from chip maker Texas Instruments are weighing down on the tech sector. That said, yes, we've 500 is still only about 1% or so away from record highs. After the closing bell today, Microsoft and Tesla report their latest uh, results. Time now, excuse me, <laughs> for a look at the global mover shares of Snap. Let's see, they're a bit higher, a bit higher in early trading. The parent company or social media firm Snapchat is reporting a narrower than expected loss of four cents a share guidance uh, was a bit light, but it posted its strongest ever quarter of user growth. Uh, Nike, on the other hand, shares Nike are lower right now. The company says Mark Parker is stepping down as CEO next year. He'll be staying on with the company in the role of executive chairman. Former eBay CEO John Donohoe uh, will take over the top spot at the sportswear giant. He's currently the CEO at cloud computing firm service now. Boeing shares are trading higher. The troubled aerospace giant missed third quarter, third quarter earnings estimates by a wide margin, but revenue came in uh, a bit above estimates. Boeing executives say they still hope to get regulatory approval to fly the 737 MAX again sometime this quarter. Emirates President Tim Clark says uh, expressed his confidence in Boeing, describing its approach to safety as uncompromising. However, he fears a lack of top-down engagement within the company may have contributed to the 737 MAX crisis. As the aircraft remains grounded, he told Julia what needs to be done to restore confidence in the company. Take a listen. 
You've got to be absolutely sure that your corporate governance of organisations such as this are really hard-nosed with regard to doing the right thing and not being sidetracked for other reasons. This is where they must ask themselves, have we ever allowed this to compromise what we have been doing? And if that is the case, be open and honest about it and fix the problem and get back to where you should be and need to be and where the consumer base uh, require you to be. So I think this will be a real disruptor for Boeing. It is. I think they will re-examine themselves, that's what they should be doing, turning themselves inside out to make sure that everybody is on the message that they always used to producing these excellent machines. At what point, when you have a backlog, an order with them, do you go, you know what, we can't wait any longer? It comes down to a question of alternatives, which we all know, unfortunately, Airbus has a backlog of orders too. Yeah. But when you've got the CEO of, of Boeing saying, look, if, if these delays continue with the MAX jets, we might have to halt production, even if it's on a temporary basis. Um, as you, as a, a CEO of a, of a business, how, how do you go through that process of making a decision that we, we have to look at alternative options here? Well, you can do that, but as you rightly said earlier, the reality is that the opposition, the competitor, cannot meet the obligations. Uh, the requirements, rather, of the airlines that had the MAX on order. Because on both sides of the Atlantic, they had some <laughs> 6,000 each uh, of various backlogs of order. So for Airbus to crank up manufacturing plant to produce the MAX cancellations is probably not going to be uh, feasible. Um, so in the end, what is happening, Fly Dubai has 14 MAXs grounded, but we had a, we've got 140 on order. Uh, and that has compromised its growth. For instance, by now, the, air, the airline should have about 65 aircraft flying. It has 42 or 45. And over the course of this summer, it's been severely impacted by the absence of those aircraft. It's had to extend leases, um, extend aircraft at all. Um, the airline community can manage that. 777X, mm -hmm. you've also pushed back the horizon for, for receiving those and that's a really lumpy order as well mm. well again I, I we are in the hands of seattle and what and chicago on this the aircraft was due to be delivered to us in june of next year personally i do not have visibility as to when it's going to be delivered uh, we have an engine problem which hope hopefully is going to be in some state of resolution in the next couple of months and the aircraft will start its flight test program but at the same time we had a a uh, failure of the static test of the aircraft that was being put through its real high load situation and i'm not quite sure where we are on that and what the faa view is on that static test failure is q3 conservative or optimistic for those triple seven x's in your mind at this moment I would say it's a little bit optimistic. Q3 of 2020, I would say my money's on the Q1. If you're going calendar April the 1st, if you're not, if it would be, it would be Q2 in calendar, calendar, uh, I think we might be seeing them about then. And the Max jets back up in the sky? I don't see much going on with regard to, perhaps I'm being a bit disingenuous to Boeing, uh, but it's important that the regulators get this one sorted out. At the moment, there is a degree, degree of polarity, which means that this isn't going to get resolved soon. So, where are we on the max? My view, sometime next year.
first half or second half? No, I would say sometime in the first quarter of next year calendar, January, February, March, latest uh, April. They can't get this wrong. It's so central to their order book. Would you agree with that? They cannot get this wrong. They will get it right. Okay. What they have to manage now is, as a company, which is hemorrhaging cash, it must be, uh, simply because the cash flow for those aircraft being produced is not coming in. They are still producing, so the supply chain for the cost of the 30-odd aircraft they're producing has got to be met. And uh, they then have all the other problems about getting it back into service. And so this is a hugely difficult problem for them to manage. It is the cash cow of the, of the company on the civil aerospace side. I can't speak for military. Um, but it is vital that this for them if it does go into the first or second quarter of next year we may be having a different conversation about it but there we are all right still to come here on first move when an assist from shaquille o'neal isn't enough china boycotts the nba's opening game as the basketball legend weighs in on the hong kong route Here is today's Boardroom Brief. SpaceX boss uh, Elon Musk has been testing new satellites which will bring broadband internet to some of the most remote areas of the world, sending a test tweet on the network called Starlink. And exclaiming, whoa, it worked when it appeared to work. Musk plans to deploy thousands of satellites to provide global broadband coverage. Apple's Tim Cook is defying trade tensions with China and taking on a new role at an elite Chinese university. The Apple CEO becomes top advisor to Tsinghua's university's business school, known as China's Harvard. Uh, his appointment comes at a time of criticism and uncertainty for Apple in China. Meantime, an awkward political misstep uh, by White House trade advisor Peter Navarro has inflamed tensions between the U.S. and China just as the two countries inch closer to a deal. Beijing has lashed out at Navarro for citing a non-existent expert in his books to bolster his arguments about Beijing's threat to the U.S. economy. In a statement to CNN, Navarro admits he made up Ron Vara, an anagram of his own name for entertainment value. Stephen Jiang reports. This is a rather bizarre episode involving Peter Navarro, Mr. Trump's top trade advisor, quoting a fictional character in his books on China, reinforcing the author's notions about the danger of Chinese goods and Chinese policies. Now, Navarro is not a traditional China expert. He didn't study China, doesn't speak the Chinese language, had never visited China until he became a Trump official. And he's always been viewed here in Beijing as a staunch anti-China figure in the White House. So not surprisingly, the Chinese government has seized this, this moment to blast Mr. Navarro's credibility. It shows that out of personal or political hidden intentions, certain people in the U.S. can do whatever they think of to contain and smear China without scruple. It is absurd and extremely dangerous to make lies, spread lies, and even formulate policies based on lies. So the Chinese government is not only trying to discredit Mr. Navarro, but also the U.S. policies presumably influenced by him or with direct input from him. At the time when the two countries are still engaged in a trade war, even though there's a truce, a ceasefire at the moment. But if the Chinese government's intention is to uh, change Mr. Trump's mind or change U.S. policies towards China, they may be in for disappointment. 
because Mr. Navarro's book struck a chord with, with Mr. Trump precisely because his ideas matched uh, with what Mr. Trump was already thinking and dealing with China more forcefully, not only in trade, but in many other areas is one of these rare bipartisan consensus in Washington right now. And of course, the Chinese government uh, may be trying to score points domestically, uh, trying to highlight the sinister nature of American officials and politicians, their evil intentions of trying to contain a rising China, thus rallying the public around the government here and President Xi Jinping at a time when they were facing many domestic issues as well, including a slowing economy. Stephen Zhang, CNN, Beijing. All right, meantime, basketball legends Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley have weighed in on the row between China and the NBA. Chinese state TV refused to air the opening game of the season Tuesday. The dispute was ignited by the Houston Rockets manager, Daryl Morey, who tweeted in support of Hong Kong's protesters. Here's what I had to say. Daryl Morey was right. Whenever you see something wrong going on anywhere in the world, you should have the right to say that's not right, and that's what he did. Because of Yao Ming, the Rockets are by far and away the most popular team in China. You can't come to my country and make money and insult me. We don't get to impress our values on other countries. O'Neill and Barkley spoke on TNT, TNT Television's Inside the NBA show. TNT is owned by AT&T Time Warner, which is also CNN's parent company. All right, we're about 15 minutes away from the start of Facebook CEO's hearing on Capitol Hill. Before that, we'll speak to one of the members of Congress who will have a chance to grill Mark Zuckerberg. Stay with us. First move, I'm Zane Asher. Uh, Caterpillar shares have been on a wild ride in trading so far today. Shares fell about 5% in pre-market trading after the company missed both earnings and revenue estimates and lower 2019 guidance as well. Shares began the session higher but are down again ever so slightly right now. Uh, Matt Egan joins us live now from New York. So uh, Matt, part of the problem is a reduction in inventories from dealers. Just walk us through this particular earnings report. Yeah, this was a pretty gloomy earnings report, Zane, from a company that is viewed as a bellwether for the global economy. Caterpillar is clearly getting hit by this one-two punch of global growth slowing and the trade war. And, and that's not a big surprise because it's the world's largest maker of construction and mining equipment. I saw three really big developments from this earnings report. Um, First, sales and profits were lower in the third quarter. That wasn't supposed to happen. They were both supposed to be about flat or even slightly higher. Caterpillar also lowered its outlook for the full year. They went from projecting modest sales growth to a modest sales decline. That's never a good thing. And Caterpillar also um, said that it is cutting production and it opened the door to a potential restructuring as they try to keep their costs in line. Now, as you mentioned, a big problem is that uh, dealers and their customers, they cut back on purchases. Dealers uh, really cut back on inventory. Um, and the, the company said that it's clear that all of this economic uncertainty is causing people to delay purchases. Um, so that has clearly been an issue. The CEO, uh, during, the, uh, during the earnings call, he blamed all of this on economic uncertainty and trade tension. So Zane, this is another real concrete example of how the trade war and the slowdown are hurting major companies. And you really can't um, untangle the two of them because the worse the trade war gets, the worse the global slowdown gets. 
And just walk us through CEO Jim Ompleby's strategy going forward then, just given the global economic environment that he's in. Well, I think Caterpillar is going to be much more cautious. They expected in July that um, there'd be a, a slowdown, but it was worse than they anticipated. What's really interesting is that um, they experienced trouble really all around the world. Every single geographic segment for Caterpillar, except for Latin America, reported sales declines, and in Latin America, sales were just flat. Um, not surprisingly, the biggest decline was in the Asia Pacific region, which is, of course, the epicenter for the trade war. Um, in that region, they experienced a double-digit sales decline, and they pointed specifically to declines in China. Matt Egan, thank you so much. Okay, so let's return now to one of our top stories, the Facebook CEO's hearing before the U.S. Congress. We are just minutes away, about 10 minutes away, in fact, uh, from Mark Zuckerberg's testimony. He has arrived on Capitol Hill, where he is set to defend Facebook's controversial plans for its own cryptocurrency, Libra. So among the people who will be grilling Zuckerberg is Gregory Meeks. He is a Democrat and a senior member of the House Financial Services Committee joins us live now. Congressman, thank you so much for being with us. Um, Good being with so you. Given, given Facebook's poor reputation when it comes to handling data, when it comes to uh, privacy, there's obviously a lot of concern about the company launching a digital currency. Is there anything that Mark Zuckerberg can say today to calm your fears, to assuage your concerns at this point? I don't know if there's anything that he can say today. I will be listening to hear what he's saying, but it's going to be also important for me to watch what he does when he leaves here today. There, as you've indicated, there's clearly a credibility problem and a trust factor that one had, or the lack of trust that one is starting to develop with reference to Facebook. And what they do, what their actions will be, uh, is going to be observed. And so there are serious concerns, and I think that that has been seen also by the number of companies and firms that are moving out of the Libra situation. And so, you know, we've got a scenario that we're looking, we don't want to hold back uh, the future, but we're going to be very careful on how we move forward. Uh, and so I think that I, as a legislator, will be looking at it in a very uh, careful manner, listening and trying to follow up. And there's been some uh, uh, speculation that Facebook may want to cooperate with regulators. And, you know, when we talk about the financial services system, we are very well regulated for the safety and security of, of, of people. Well, we've got to look at it in this scenario also. So we'll see how serious they are. All right, so, Congressman, you mentioned that, of course, we all know actions are more important than words, and you're going to be looking to see what Facebook does after the testimony. However, if you are not satisfied with what you hear from Mark Zuckerberg today, does that mean that um, your party, that the House Financial Services Committee, will move to block Libra going forward? Well, look, we're going to look at it, as I said. We are a government of laws and rules and regulations, and we regulate our financial services industry. Uh, and by going into Libra, now you're going into financial services, which is why he's testified before our committee. And so we will then have to review what we should do to make sure that those that invest in Libra are protected. You know, we have you know, various subcommittees, for example, consumer protection, uh, investor protection. So we've got to make sure that people who are invested in it is protected and not allow something that may be uh, not trustworthy that could cause 
uh, a calamity around uh, around the globe, quite frankly. I was involved in 2008 when we had the financial crisis here in the United States. I don't want to have any, any opportunities for that to reoccur where there's contagion and it can flood the market and people are damaged in a, in a very big way. So that is what you know, I'll be listening for and looking for. People still from the 2008 uh, financial services and because of some of the uh, bots and et cetera that has been on Facebook, people have lost money. Uh, and so I'm gonna be looking at it and to figure out what rules, what regulations may be necessary to put in place to make sure that we are securing and protecting investors and, and consumers. Um, Congressman, just switching gears quickly to impeachment, we heard Bill Taylor's bombshell testimony, the fact that he intimated that there was a quid pro quo in terms of exchanging aid for Kiev with um, investigating Joe Biden. I mean, just walk us through how, consequ how consequential do you think Bill Taylor's testimony is going to be in the impeachment inquiry? I think that if you take, uh, for example, who he is, Bill Taylor is a patriot. He's an individual that went back into the State Department only because he wanted to help his country. That's in his opening statement. He was, you know, not sure of what he wanted to do, but taking the advice of a friend is if you can help your country, you do it. That's who he is. That's who he is. And to listen to that testimony and listen to him talk about this second wing of of individuals who was involved, led by Mr. Giuliani, talking directly to the president. I think that, so I know for me, it was absolutely shocking to hear uh, in that room. And I think that as more Americans get to see and hear and, and listen to Mr. Taylor, uh, and, and as the evidence continues to mount, uh, you'll see the clear abuse of power of this president. You'll see that he's violated the Constitution of America and the integrity of the office of presidency, uh, and, and, and it will have a may or play a major role in what happens next. All right. I know that you are about to go into uh, the testimony, the hearing with Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Congressman Gregory Meeks in Washington. Thank you so much. And that is it for the show. Thank you so much for watching First Move. I'm Zane Asher. Connect the world starts after this short break. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.